1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 7. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel did what the Lord commanded, and came to Bethlehem. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Lori and I remember a story of an old friend who told us how he discovered that he was colorblind. He and his best friend were on their way home from school one day when his best friend remarked about the color of a house they were passing. Our friend Jack disagreed and said it was a different color. And eventually they began to argue about it and got into a fistfight. We all see things differently, don't we? We can look at the same verse and have different ideas as to the meaning of the verse. We can go to the same movie and one person talk about the car chases and another about the romance and yet another about the CGI. We can meet the same person and one come away thinking he's handsome and the other thinking he's homely. I can remember times when Lori and I would go to the same get-together and both come home with completely different perspectives. Even the four Gospels describe Jesus in different ways. Matthew describes Jesus as king, Mark as servant, Luke as son of man, and John talks about his divinity. What we see strongly influences us. They say seeing is believing. Another way of Looking at that is, what we see can sway our belief system, which ultimately shapes our lives. That's why the Bible exhorts us as to what we ought to allow ourselves to see and think. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, If there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. What if we change these adjectives to their opposites? For instance, do we allow ourselves to see whatever is false, whatever is dishonorable, whatever is wrong, whatever is impure, unlovely, evil, or unworthy? We may not intentionally seek these things out, but it's so easy for us to get caught up in mindless meanderings on the internet, whether it be YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. We often find ourselves mindlessly clicking or surfing the internet or television and exposing our eyes and ears to things we shouldn't watch. We, quote, see 
the wrong things. Things that God doesn't really want us to see. Some of it can be hardly helped, though. If you have any connection to this world at all, you will be exposed and even bombarded by bad news, false narratives, and even evil. And because we're humans, we all have a bent to see things from a, well, a human perspective. Or as our passage says, man looks on the outward appearance. The Hebrew version of this is more like this. Man judges by what he sees. So if we see wrongly, we're going to judge wrongly. So it's important to see properly. In our text today, Samuel was given the task to go anoint the next king of Israel. He, along with everyone else, had been impressed with Saul's stature. But even though God had rejected Saul, Samuel grieved over his rejection. So God sent Samuel to the house of Jesse with a horn of oil to anoint the next king. But was, what does he do? Jesse's firstborn son is presented to Samuel. Hey, he looks a lot like Saul in his stature. He looks at his stature. It's another strapping young man, and he thinks, surely this is the Lord's anointed standing before him. But God corrects him. He tells him not to look on his outward appearance. And then he makes this important statement. The Lord sees not as man sees. How many of you know that's actually a good thing? I don't always like what I see. And maybe, perhaps, if I could see it from God's perspective, I might just be okay with things. I want to talk about God's perspective for a minute. But first, let me quickly make a comparison. When I look at creation, I know what I see. But what does God see? When I look at myself, I know what I see. But what does God see? When I look at our country, I know what I see. But what does God see? When I look at this world, I know what I see. But what does God see? Again, the Lord sees not as man sees. For one thing, God is up there and we're down here. And then God sees everything and I only see what's in front of me. Also, God sees all the tomorrows. I only see the now. God sees the invisible. I see the visible. Finally, God sees the heart. I only see appearances. There are a number of times in the Bible where we are told what God sees. I want to talk about one in particular. We all know the story of the flood in Genesis. It was the judgment of God that was poured out on the violence that was covering the earth. And the Bible tells us that Noah and his family, eight souls total, were saved from the devastation. We can't imagine, we can't possibly imagine, no director of any movie can duplicate what that storm was like. There's been nothing more severe, nor widespread or devastating as that event. But if you can imagine the worst storm you've ever been through, the darkest day, the loudest thunders, the endless 
downpour. Think about hurricanes, tornadoes, and tsunamis all at once. And there you are in a creaky wooden boat. Imagine that for just a moment. Now once it's all over, what kind of assurances would you have that all is well and also that this won't happen again? I think I would have gotten off that boat with great trepidation and weak knees. But God makes a promise of mercy and grace. Here it is in Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 16. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it, and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. It occurred to me as I read this anew a few days ago that God says, When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant. Who doesn't love a rainbow? I know recently it has been hijacked by a segment of society, but it was God's idea. We read it here in the book of Genesis, and every Christian should embrace the meaning that God has given it. But I've actually pulled the car over before just to gaze at a rainbow. I can remember once during a Wednesday night church service many years ago, we were at the time going through a rough stretch and there was a storm outside during that service. We interrupted that service, and we all went to the doorway, and we witnessed a double rainbow. There it was, God's assurance to all of us. But as wonderful as that is, this verse is teaching us that the rainbow wasn't primarily for us. It was for God. It's not as important that I see it, but that God sees it. And what he sees when he looks at it is different than what we see. He wants us to know that when we look up at every rainbow, he's looking at it also. Our eyes are locked on that same rainbow. And this God who doesn't forget, who actually doesn't need reminders, gives us a double assurance that I will see it and I will remember We call it a rainbow, but the Hebrew word is simply bow. 
And it's the word used throughout the Old Testament of the bow as a weapon. And in verse 13 of Genesis 9, God calls it his bow. Here's what he says. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. You can read this two different ways. One way is that God is saying, I've hung up my bow. I have set my bow. God has hung his bow. In other words, is God saying that his judgment is over? The time for mercy and grace has come. That's one way to look at it. But the other way, I think, is even more poignant, in my opinion. When we read God set his bow, he's saying that he placed it in a certain way. If the rainbow represents a weapon, which way is the weapon pointed? The bow is pointed toward God, showing that he will now take the judgment intended for man. He will now accept the punishment we deserve. But again, this message is about perspective. There's our perspective and there's God's perspective. Rainbows usually appear after a storm, but again, we just went through a storm. When the storms of life are happening, it's nice to have a rainbow at the end, but hey, we did just after all go through a storm. And maybe a scary storm. What about God's perspective? What does God see? Maybe I can explain that with this illustration I heard many years ago. I read a story about a man traveling from Dallas to Houston with his four-year-old daughter on a plane. When they were about halfway through their flight, they encountered a severe thunderstorm. The pilot came on the radio and announced that he was going to take the plane to a higher altitude so that the plane could fly above the storm. Before long, they saw the black clouds with the menacing lightning in the clouds beneath them. Above them, the sun was shining in all its glory. Even though it was hidden to the people in the city below, Suddenly, there appeared a glorious rainbow stretching from horizon to horizon. The man's daughter saw it and couldn't contain herself. She exclaimed, Daddy, Daddy, look, it's a rainbow, and we're seeing it from the same side that God sees it from. It's true. We need to remember that no matter how bad the storm, from God's perspective, it's always bright and sunny that the storm is not the whole picture, that really, when the storm is over and God peels back the clouds, we get to see what God has been seeing all along. By the time we see the rainbow, the storm is over and the sun is ready to appear. And really, the rainbow is God's way of saying, if you've been through the storm, then God still has a future for you. It occurred to me yesterday that God's promise of the rainbow predates his written word. The people needed a sign of God's enduring promise. Thus, the rainbow was God's assurance of God's promise. And it was something that they could see, something that could be seen by all. But now, along with the rainbow, we have the assurances of his promise in his word. That's something also that we can see 
and hold in our hands and read the living Word of God. Listen, we've all weathered a difficult year. A year where we have been exposed to and witnessed that which is false, dishonorable, wrong, impure, unlovely, evil, and unworthy. But that's been our view. God has a different perspective. And if we allow Him to, through His Word and His presence, He can peel back the clouds and reveal to you that from His side, all is well. Amen.